This is my Bible. God's written living word to me. Open my eyes, Lord, that I might behold wonderful things from your law. Hallelujah. For those of you that have been with us during this series, you know that we've been talking about a shift. We've used words like renaissance and paradigm to describe this activity of the Holy Spirit, this time of great revival, this transition, a renewal of life, a rebirth that's happening in our congregation. My only regret is that on any given Sunday, there's only two-thirds of our congregation here. I don't know if you realize it or not, but everything is planned around that fact, that it takes me three Sundays. It takes me three Sundays to get to our entire congregation. Because everybody's not here on a single Sunday. I don't know what I'd do. I, I just would just fall over if everybody showed up on a single Sunday. One of, the, one of these days, maybe in 2014, we'll go for that, a special day where we just have all of our, all of our attenders that consider this their home to be here on a single Sunday. The word paradigm means example or pattern. An outstandingly clear example. And so starting this Wednesday... And for the next two Wednesdays, and then also in December, the first two Wednesdays of December, so four Wednesday evenings, we're going to have an event here that you do not want to miss. If you are involved in helps ministry, volunteerism, or leadership of any kind in this church, or if you've considered being involved, I need you here for those four Wednesday nights. Something tremendous is going to take place. And I just can't even begin to tell you how important those meetings are. It's called lead. And God has been doing a download, like with a computer, from heaven's throne into me and Nina. And there just is a paradigm shift in how we do church, how we reach to the community, and how we do ministry. And that involves every leader. Some of you will not remain in your positions as leaders. Others will take on new positions. Some of those in positions now will be reassigned. But these four Wednesdays, the first two of this month and the first two of December, are going to determine our future as a church. We're going to be recasting vision and talking about ministry. And to that end, I want to talk to you this morning about the subject of seasons. And I've entitled this message, Navigating Life's Seasons. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading from verse 1. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. 
a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Two of these in particular are some of the hardest of any attitude or character trait written in the Word of God. There is a time to do war, notice. There's a time to break things and kill people. And there's a time not to embrace. Now, how do you reconcile that with the Bible? And yet it's in the Word of God. That's not my message today. I just thought I'd point that out. We all understand that there's four distinct seasons in the natural. We have summer, we have autumn, we have winter, and we have spring. Let's review quickly what these look like. Summer, a time to harvest. It's full of joy and holidays, rest and recreation, storing up for the future. But it can also be filled with dryness and scorching heat. We enjoy summer, but how many of you know we need the other seasons to sustain life? Then we have autumn, a, a time where winds of change blow through our life. A feeling unsettled, uncertainty begins to take place. The ground is shifting, cultivation of the ground in preparation for a season to come, pruning, and things need to be cooled off. In fact, things even die off. And some things look like they're dead and they're not. How about you? Then there's winter. Marked by barrenness and darkness, no evident life. Things seem to be at halt, lack of apparent progress, growth is hidden. You're in a valley. Things don't feel as exciting as they used to be. It's a time of introspection and a lot of internal searching. Now, for those of you that live in Colorado and ski the slopes and snowboard, winter doesn't look all that bad sometimes. <laughs> But for the rest of us, winter's a distinct season of backing off of some of that excitement and real introspection and maybe letting some things go that need to go. And then, of course, comes spring. We love spring. It's full of new life and breakthrough, growth and emerging fruit, productivity. Passion is reignited. Sowing seed and new dreams and visions. There's movement. It's very exciting. But how many, of you, how many of you know that life does not proceed along a linear line? That there's seasons. And the sooner we accept that God built that into the universe to be a blessing, not a curse, the sooner our lives will take on a great new dynamic regarding His purpose. Things are cyclical. They have rhythm. They're not linear. And how many of you know what's right for one season might not be right for another season? Oh, that we would learn that as believers in Jesus Christ. Oh, that we would practice that as fellow Christians towards one another. I want to give you this morning six keys to handling life seasons. Number one. Realize, first realize that change is inevitable. Embrace it. In fact, autumn reminds us of the impermanence of everything. The impermanence. And I don't know about you, but I fight against that inevitability. 
I, I'm a guy that just, I like process. I like things in order. I like to put things in nice, neat little jars with labels on them and put my jars just so. And then someone will come along and mess up my jars. I did not name any names. Although in my world, the alphabet stops at N. Moving to the right, to the right, to the right. Don. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. By the way, that's talking about our lives spiritually as well. So why, Lord, why do I have to lose somebody? Why does that person have to leave my life or move when I was so close? Why does something I'm so familiar with, and I, I just got my arms around it, have to change? And now they're telling me it's going to be new. And why, when I just learned that responsibility at church, are they all of a sudden taking it away from me? That's not fair. <laughs> I submit to you that in Christ, it is never a loss. Stop looking at it that way. See it as a going into the ground like seed, only to come back in newness of life. In fact, Jesus used that very principle in referring to himself in John's Gospel, chapter 12. Turn there with me. John, John's Gospel, chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading in verse 23. John, chapter 12. Verse 23. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Verse 27. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, go ahead. Be glorified in what's about to happen. Jesus is our example. Stop praying that he'd take you out of all your circumstances and start looking for new opportunities to have your life glorify him even in a season that looks like death because you can know that as your life seems to be falling into the ground dying he is going to resurrect it into new life Amen. Amen. and then in verse 29 the crowd stood there, huh? They said, huh? And they 
heard this. In fact, I didn't read the last sentence of the previous verse. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I'll glorify it again. And the crowd stood there and they heard it as it thundered. And others said, an angel has spoken. They said, oh, no, this is thunder. And others said, an angel has spoken. And watch this. Jesus said, verse 30, he answered, this voice came for your sake, not mine. You know what he's saying? You are always looking for some sort of outward evidence that I am involved in your life. I know he's involved in mine. I don't need a voice. I don't need a burning bush. I don't need a miracle. I don't need a feeling. God is in my life and I hear him clearly. That's what Jesus was saying. So enjoy your booming voice. (laughs) I'm just enjoying being one with God. Can I tell you a dog story? We have two little Lhasa Apsas. They're 13 years of age, going on 14 now. And about two years ago, our little, we have a female and we have a boy, a male. And something happened when we got these dogs 13 years ago. On and off, I've had pets, in particular dogs, in my life, all my life. When I was a boy growing up, we had dogs as a family. Once Nina and I got married, because I got married at eight, uh, we, we, started, we started having dogs, and we had several dogs on and off. But I'll tell you what, and I think like a lot of people, it wasn't relational. It, it was sort of an object, you know, you have a dog, you have a pet, it's what you do. You, you buy a home, you have a couple of kids, you get a couple of cars and you buy a dog. You know, it was the kind of that thing. And, and as soon as the dog started digging holes in the ground, aren't you're out of here, you know, and then we'd get a different dog. Well, then that dog would do something and be too hard to take care of. We'd get rid of that dog. Then came Sammy and Layla. 13 years ago. And our lives have been a wreck. I mean, we have a relationship with these dogs. We hold them and cuddle them like a baby. We we have photo albums dedicated to dog pictures. We've saved their teeth. We have hair clippings. This is not right, Don. Something changed. Now, about two years ago, our little male started having some difficulties. Difficulties with his knees. Go figure. Difficulty with his sight. Then we went to the vet and found out that he and our girl dog simultaneously got um, diabetes. diabetes. Do you know we give our dogs insulin twice a day? (laughs) 
Do you know my dad, I mean my earthly dad, would roll over in his grave (laughs) if he knew I was giving insulin to a dog? So one day, all of a sudden, we start realizing, man, Layla, your breath is really bad. So we start talking to her about it. I mean, can't you, like, brush your teeth or something? I mean, here's a mint. Well, so long story short, that leads to spending 300 and this is cheap, $300 to put her to sleep and have some teeth taken out and some teeth cleaned. That's normally twelve to $1,500. You know that. That's cheap. We, we got by on a deal. My dad would absolutely roll over. He would jump up and down and do flips. He's probably right now in heaven saying, Oh, Jesus, help the boy. (laughs) My mother is saying that. So now the little guy is getting growths on his side and One of them opened up over this weekend and getting stuff on the carpet. But he's a little person in my life. And until there's an agreement to do otherwise, or he just doesn't wake up some morning, That little guy is going to be in my life until he passes. And the seasons that we are going through right now with our kids, because they're the only two at home, is amazing. And it's transforming. I don't understand why. Why'd my dog get diabetes? Why are my dog's knees going bad? Why did my dog, he's completely blind now. Why my dog? But I'm committed to him until he stops breathing. How about you? Are you in a season of life where you've just been unwilling to accept the ups and the downs? May I say it to you this way? You have to leave where you're at in order to get where you're going. All right, number two, embrace variety and let go. I was looking out the window of our home the other day and watching leaves falling, and there's leaves all over the ground and leaves falling, and they're just so beautiful, oranges and reds and yellows. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you know, autumn is a time for letting go and releasing things that have been a burden. How many of you are in a time or a season of life right now where you need to embrace variety and let go? Understand colors change. And understand that a variety of colors needs to be embraced. It's beautiful. It's these acts of relinquishment such as prayer and worship and kindness and often showing kindness is very inconvenient. I don't know how the rest of you marrieds work, but I don't know. At our age, you get set. 
you know, you get you get certain things you like about life, certain things you do during the day, certain times that certain things are going to happen. And if you have to break out of that routine and go very far, it's really inconvenient. And yet we have found just recently, we've both in the past week or two asked something of one another that was terribly inconvenient and out of the way. And yet it's been so life-giving to just do that loving thing for one another. Embrace variety and let go. Get out of the way and let the Holy Spirit take charge of your life. Now here's a passage that I'm sure you've never considered in this light before. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 regarding our second principle here of navigating life's seasons. Our second way of handling life's seasons. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm going to be reading from the message translation. And so I think the sound guys are going to be able to have it up here on the screen. It's so different than any of your translations that you're holding in your hand that you probably shouldn't even try to follow along but rather look on the screen in verse 4 God's various gifts are handed out everywhere but they all originate in God's spirit God's various ministries are carried out everywhere but they all originate in God's spirit God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere. But God himself is behind it all. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets on it. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the Spirit to all kinds of people. The variety is wonderful. Wise counsel, clear understanding, simple trust, healing the sick, miraculous acts, proclamation, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. All these gifts have a common origin, but are handed out one by one by the Spirit of God. He decides who gets what and who gets it when. Isn't that great? And I'm saying, come on, Lord Jesus, help us as Christians get along better because that's a principle, not just a specific teaching about nine gifts of the Spirit. And I have never looked at this passage that way. Thank you, Lord, for taking me through seasons where I have to embrace variety and let go and not dictate what somebody else's colors have to be. Do you know that produces most, the most frustration in your life is when you, you're trying to control other people's colors? Can we just accept that folks are different and that they're not all like you or me? Now, Rick, I know if they were, we could just solve the world's problems. We could get this thing going, couldn't we? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it, it's just so disappointing that everybody's not like you, isn't it? We're talking about six keys to handling life's seasons. Let me give you number three. Seize the opportunity to be generous. Join me in Acts, the book of Acts, in chapter 10. Acts chapter 10.
I'll begin reading in verse 1 from the Amplified Translation. Now, living at Caesarea, there was a man whose name was Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian Regiment, a devout man who venerated God and treated him with reverential obedience, as did all of his household. And he gave much alms to the people and prayed continually to God. Mark that. He gave much alms. Alms are certain designated smaller financial amounts that you give to the poor. And he prayed continually to God. Now, by the way, as best we know and understand from his background, this gentleman wasn't even born again. He was religious, but he was not born again. Verse 3, about the ninth hour, which is 3 o'clock p.m., of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God entering and saying to him, Cornelius, and he, Cornelius, gazing intently at him, became frightened and said, What is it, Lord? And the angel said to him, Your prayers and your generous gifts to the poor have come up as a sacrifice to God and have been remembered by him. Wow. You mean I can actually navigate this season, this time of life a little better if I would be sacrificial in giving and give some amounts of money I wouldn't normally? That God would take special notice of that? You bet. In fact, in the New Living Translation, it says this. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Here's the message translation. The angel said, your prayers and neighborly acts have brought you into God's attention. Here's what you are to do. Notice the here's what you are to do came after he had been diligent with being generous. I submit to you that sometimes direction for the future is being held up. Because of our lack of being generous now in the season we're in. Generosity has such power because it's characterized by the inner quality of letting go once again and relinquishing. Being able to let go, to give up, to renounce, to give generously. This, this grace comes from the spirit of God that's within us. When we practice generosity, we open to all of these liberating qualities simultaneously. They deliver us into freedom, and they also become the expression of that freedom, which is love. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21 and 22. If you see your enemy hungry, go buy him lunch. If he's thirsty, bring him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. And God, watch this, will look after you. Are you going through a difficult season right now where it seems like heaven has been shut and God no longer looks after you? Break out your checkbook. Go downtown, find some homeless people, take them to lunch. Second Corinthians chapter eight and verse two from the Amplified says this for in the midst of an ordeal of severe tribulation, their abundance of joy and their depth of poverty together have overflowed in wealth and lavish generosity on their part. 
We have been through one of the most difficult times fiscally and financially in this country that we have ever been in. And actually, it's still going on. Some states are moving forward and some people have recaptured their jobs or found new ones. But we're still in a a very difficult time. Do you know that the worst thing that you can do during that sort of season financially is to pull back and stop being generous in your giving to the church and to people? Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. Not that I'm looking for handouts, but I do want you to experience the blessing that issues from generosity. Number five, the fifth way in handling the seasons of life is to realize that what looks dead isn't. There is still life in that seed. First Peter chapter five and verse six says, so be content with who you are and don't put on airs. God's strong hand is on you and he'll promote you at the right time. Live carefree before God. He is most careful with you. Live carefree. He is most careful with you. Isn't that great? I, I'm sorry. We are on number four. Did I say five? Slap me. I only have six. Did I say seven? I thought I knew what happened to caterpillars when they spin that cocoon and then climb in it and shut it up. They don't climb in it? What do they do? Oh, silly me. You know, I feel more accepted at the men's group. I like it there. You don't laugh at me. At least not out loud. (laughs) But I learned some things that I didn't know about a caterpillar and a resulting butterfly. When the caterpillar is full grown and stops eating, it attaches itself to a place of rest. It forms a chrysalis, chrysalis. Chrysalis, chrysalis, and goes into a type of hibernation. Important. On the outside, it looks like nothing is going on, but changes are occurring inside the pupa that we can't see. The internal systems are reorganizing and transforming into adult structures. Pupae can be inside a cocoon, suspended from a tree, or buried underground. This stage can last from weeks to a month. There are some species that have a pupil stage that lasts for two years. And you thought your season was long. (laughs) Two years of looking like death. 
Some of you are in the midst of circumstances right now you cannot explain. You've had prayer. You've had hands laid on you. You've had the devil cast out. You've, you've bought new Bibles. <laughs> you learned to speak in tongues. And Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 24 applies. Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 24. It never occurs to them to say, how can we honor God with our lives? The God who gives rain in both spring and autumn and maintains the rhythm of the seasons, who sets aside time each year for harvest and keeps everything running smoothly for us. It never occurs to us to simply draw into the place of rest and say, God, regardless of this season, regardless of the circumstances and the fact that it looks like death right now, how can my life glorify you? Number five, realize that God's presence is in every season. Even the difficult ones, the times when you feel like he's far away, even in the times when the daily grind is never ending. His presence is there with you. And notice, isn't it funny how we wish for a different time of year? (laughs) As summer was really hot, we wished for the fall. Now, some of us have been wishing for the winter where it'd get nice and frosty and we can go up skiing and we can have fun with the kids out in the snow and many of the things that winter brings that's unique to winter. But boy, just in a month or six weeks, when that temperature drops and we get our good first snow and then as we enter January and February... And it's still snowing when we get maybe a good 18-incher or 20-incher and it drops below zero. You know what we're going to be doing? Oh, God, I can't stand this any longer. And isn't it funny how we do that? Lord, I can't stand it any longer. You've got to give me a new car. Lord, I hate this vehicle. I just despise this car. It's just a work of trash. Lord, you've got to send me somebody to be married to that loves me and will care for me. Lord, if you only knew the person that I am married to now. I hate their guts, Lord. You've got to change this. (laughs) it's the ebb and flow of seasons and love has seasons and life has seasons and God ordained it such. And if we can do nothing else in the season we're in, but realize God is there though we do not feel him and establish a place of rest where we lift our hands and simply say, God, use me for your glory. We could change the world. First Peter chapter one and verse six says this in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
We all have to learn to choose to be content with where we're at right now. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 11, you're familiar with Jesus' prayer that he taught the disciples. Give us this day, help me. And we've always thought of that as financial. Could it possibly be that he was teaching us to pray to be content with the season we're in? That that is my daily bread right now? God has a way of anchoring us to the present so that we have to seek him every day and tap into his strength no matter what difficulties we are facing. And I know what comes to mind right now is the scripture in Philippians where Paul said, this one thing I do, though I'm not perfect, this one thing I do, forgetting the past, striving forward. Yes, and that's what we do need to do. We do not spend time dwelling on the past, especially when it's negative. But, dear ones, we are anchored to today. In my prayer time this morning, as I was just worshiping the Lord and continuing to prepare, I began to have a fresh revelation for my own life of the sacredness of today. And I prayed a very simple prayer. It wasn't long. I said, Lord... I commit my life to you today. All day long, every hour, I simply want to know your presence and glorify you today. Just today. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow or what tomorrow holds. He's promised to take care of that. In the past is past. Paul said, forget it. So I realize, really, that reduces my responsibilities quite a bit. I'm just going to be diligent with today, Bob. Just today. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 says, Pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the Spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. And the seventh way of handling the seasons of life. The sixth, excuse me. See, originally I was going to do seven. Then I thought, well, you know, that'll take an extra five, six, seven minutes. And (laughs) the sixth way of handling life's seasons. You ready? Realize every season has a purpose. You know, when you look back, can't you see that actually you've learned quite a bit when times were at their hardest? Isn't it true that we now treasure some of the things that when we were going through them, we wanted out? I mean, we would have done anything if God had just taken us out And Jesus taught us, don't pray that. He taught us to pray, Lord, take me through, not out. And we can learn and we can gain from every experience that we go through. And I think maybe our prayer ought to be, Lord, help me learn what you're trying to teach me right now in this season. 
Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. Seasons apply to every area of life, developing the ability to recognize what season that we're in and doing our best to remain flexible enough to learn the lessons of that season is the challenge of life. Be willing to adopt, to grow, to learn, to move. And how we handle that season will prepare us for the ones that are going to follow. Oh, and by the way, we should be very careful how we judge others who are going through their season. My call is to simply come alongside you no matter what season you're in, no matter where you're at, no matter how close or far from God you might feel, or whether you've even begun a spiritual journey yet. In fact, maybe there's things in your life that, from my biblical perspective, would be very controversial. Mine is not to judge your season, but to come alongside and just encourage what the Holy Spirit is already doing in you. Remember, Cornelius was not born again. He was not saved, but he prayed and he operated in generosity. And God gave him a vision that led him and his whole household to come to faith in Christ. Could we do that for one another? And you're going to be hearing a lot more about it on Wednesday nights, starting this Wednesday. Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do.